Hello, I'm H.D. Chambers, and welcome to Impact Ed. Uh, myself, our school board, and the entire community of Ailey FISD appreciates you guys listening or watching or whatever you may be doing to our version of Impact Ed today. Today, we're going to be visiting with two ladies who, who uh, specialize and have expertise in the area of social-emotional learning, overcoming trauma, and all the things associated with just the human experience, whether you're a four-year-old little boy, little girl, or a 57-year-old superintendent. We all, at some point in our lives, have uh, areas that we that we need help, that we need uh, assistance and support. Every single one of you know that when you were in school, you had a counselor. Now, if you were like me, back in the late 70s and early 80s, you may have not known who your counselor was because really all they did was change my schedule or something as simple as that. Uh, that role has evolved so much, and these two individuals will be able to talk about that uh, in more depth and more detail. But today we do want to talk about what's occurred over the last 13, 14 months with uh, with COVID. Not only the academic impact that we all know has uh, an impact on all children across the country, or across the planet for that matter, uh, but the social and the traumatic concerns that go along with that. And sometimes we don't talk nearly about that in public. Uh, we, we talk about learning losses and literacy and numeracy, but we don't talk nearly much, uh, nearly as much about uh, the social and the mental uh, well-being of our of our kids. And then on top of that, we don't really talk nearly as, as enough about that with our staff, particularly our teachers and those adults who are working with kids. So so I've got two ladies. I'm going to let them introduce themselves, but they come from our counseling department. Dr. Baldwin, Dr. Alva Baldwin is our director of counseling. And then we have uh, Cassandra Tanner, who is our mental health coordinator. I probably need to schedule about a once once a week visit with with you, Cassandra, because of just my because of my mental health. Today's co- topic is going to be about these issues, and so if you guys don't mind, ladies don't mind, uh, would you introduce yourself, kind of what your role is, and then we're going to get into this discussion about why this is so critical to the recovery as our country moves forward from uh, hopefully the worst of COVID nineteen. And we begin trying to put our lives and our and our communities back together. So, Dr. Baldwin, I'll start with you. Thank you so much for having us here. Again, I'm the Director of Guidance and Counseling. And within that role, I have the enormous pleasure to support and lead um, our nearly 130 campus counselors. And that's on elementary level, intermediate, middle school, and high school, as they support all of our students um, academically, socially, emotionally, in all aspects of their holistic development. And we wanna make sure that our students have what they need from pre-K to their senior year so that when they leave our doors, they are prepared to do whatever they want to do with military, career, going straight to college or universities, whatever they have endeavored to do. Um, Part of that, as we know now, focuses a lot on the social emotional aspect of that because we understand that students cannot be their best. They cannot reach their full potential when there are other underlying traumas and things that are affecting them. Um, And so I'll stop right there. Thank you. Cassandra, how about yourself? Hi, I'm really excited to be here as well. My name is Cassandra Tanner, and I'm the mental health facilitator for A-Leaf, and I'm excited to be part of the mental health team. Um, Myself and Destiny Fristo are the mental health team, and uh, we really are there to support staff and students with mental health needs. And I think it's exciting that, you know, we are able to focus on the things that 
now people are talking about with the pandemic coming up, people are saying school was the front line of mental health care for kids. And when, you know, when we've gotten them out of school, now their mental health is suffering. And so uh, we've always been concerned with the mental health of students. And that's my role in ALEAF is to help with the mental health initiatives. And I've just really enjoyed supporting staff and students to make sure that um, ALEAF staff and students are at their best. Let's talk about pre-pandemic, okay? So before we get into what's occurred over the last 13, 14 months, but leading up to that, I would argue that that there was more and more attention being given to, let's talk about students just for a second. There's been more and more attention given to students' mental well-being. And some of that down in this part of the state of Texas, and for those that are watching or listening, we're, we're in the Houston area on the, on the Gulf Coast. Uh, we had Hurricane Harvey several years ago. And Dr. Baldwin, maybe talk about how did you see people that do what you and Cassandra do? How did you see that role prior to the pandemic? And was and do you agree with it was kind of evolving that we were paying more and more attention and spending more and more time thinking about the social and the emotional conditions of our kids? Uh, well, I think when I think about the pandemic, one of the things that comes to my mind is that it did not create this mental health condition, but it definitely highlighted a lot of the things that we had going on. And you talk about Hurricane Harvey, and I remember that like many of us so vividly, just the images, even not just going through Hurricane Harvey, but then the images that you saw on TV, all of those things that research shows us just re-traumatizes us. And so I think it became more of that collective trauma. I think that was one of the first things that brought that collective trauma to the land, regardless of race, gender, age, sex, everybody experienced that in Houston together. And I think that was um, the start of people understanding that this is something that we can't just say, okay, uh, file your insurance claims and then go back to business as usual. And so for the school counselors, it became more evident that the training that they've always had to be a professional school counselor, but never really were able to utilize right. in a robust way. And I think you mentioned it earlier about the school counselor role being procedures, you know, change my schedule. If I'm a good kid, I might see my counselor for some scholarship things. If I'm a bad kid, I might see my counselor to get in trouble if I'm in the middle. I may not see a counselor. That totally changed because people understood and began to realize that, wow, those are the frontline persons on those campuses that can support the students in a holistic way. So it was an unfortunate event, but it highlighted a need that had been there uh, for a long time. And I think the counselors, of course, even though they always have the training, it gave us an opportunity to increase that training and to make sure that they have what they need to support the students and the staff. Students are resilient, and, and there's truth to that. You know, there's a lot of truth to that. But assuming that all children are resilient to their circumstances, I think that has begun to break down knowing that, yes, they're resilient, but they still need help and they still need support. Cassandra, how has that changed? I mean, how because now going back to what, Dr. Baldwin said, and, and my little analogy that, you know, my counselors used to change my schedule, that was, I'm sure they did a lot more than that. I was one of those kids in the middle, you know, that just didn't really see them that often. seems like we're changing our tone about the resiliency of kids. Yes, they're resilient and they need to learn to be resilient, but we have to help them along the way. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. I think it's a evolving as we learn and we grow more, it's not so much of shake it off, you'll get over it kind of a thing that some of us that are older grew up in a time like that, where now we really pay attention a lot to the whole child. And we've learned, you know, the importance of how traumatic experiences affect kids' brains. And so 
we're really giving careful detail to make sure that we're not ignoring or dismissing the emotional things that kids are dealing with. And so I'm excited that there is less stigma associated with mental health. And so people are more comfortable speaking up about it. And, you know, the more awareness stuff that we increase where we talk about it, then kids feel more okay talking to you about how they feel and knowing that, you know, the school is a place where we care not just about your grades, but we care about you as a person and how you're feeling. And we know that that's going to affect your ability to learn. So, yeah, I think in that sense, it's been a good thing that we're learning and growing in that way to make sure that we serve the children completely. Yeah. You know, there, there's a position some may take that we have to be careful by coddling kids or coddling students, right? Going back to the used to be, you know, get back up, dust your britches off and go back out there and, you know, live your life. And there's still a certain amount of that that's true. I think what we've done in my observation is we've gotten a lot better in identifying the kid that can that we can do that with versus the child that doesn't need just that. They need a little bit more Absolutely. Absolutely. I joke all the time because I said I became a therapist, even though my dad used to tell me we don't cry because our feelings are hurt, (laughs) you know. (laughs) And so it's like he grew up in that old school generation. And now, you know, I think we are very attentive to making sure that um, we are able to understand that you know, all different kids experience things in different ways. And we're seeing that with the pandemic. You know, some people it's an adjustment of small things in their life. And some people it's all the way to they've lost a parent. They've lost a grandparent. You know, their parents have lost a job, but it's hitting everybody differently. And we know whether it's Harvey or whether it's, you know, the pandemic, those that were already vulnerable, when they get hit, it's even worse. Yeah, Yeah, and to uh, Cassandra's point about that, I think it is a shift for our parents, you know, because no one wants to feel that, oh, this is, you know, wrong with my child, that my parenting styles are being compromised or questioned. So I think that's another great thing about having podcasts like this and some of the programmings we try to have daily to include the parents in that conversation, because it is a mind shift, um, because what we're dealing with now is, you know, to use this term, unprecedented. I mean, this is nothing, uh, this is not, okay, you got knocked down on the football field, you know, type of thing. Our students, our adults, we are being um, bombarded with things, images um, every day. You know, right now as we're recording this tape, we're in the week of the George Floyd verdict. And just thinking about the images that we have seen on television, I'm talking about local news. Mm-hmm. That's tr- traumatic. And all the research lends to that, that we're actually seeing deaths and seeing essentially, you know, murders daily. Our brains are not developed to handle those type of images. I think that parent component is very important and we're going to continue to have different um, avenues for our parents to learn more about mental health and learn more about social and emotional learning. The good thing about it um, is that the brain can recover and the brain can learn. And that's the good thing the research is showing us now that even though developmentally our students are in a certain stage, we have to identify that, the healthy relationships, teaching those coping skills, teaching those social emotional learning strategies, that self-management, that self-awareness, that social awareness, that self-regulation and relationship building, all these research shows, it does mend and rebuild the brain. So all is not lost. And so I think just having those conversations with parents, because even as a parent myself, I have school-based children right now, and they have struggled uh, a lot at this time. And I've seen uh, demonstrations that I hadn't seen prior to the pandemic. And so it's just a struggle for all of us. I think that parent keys and that education is very important. 
Let's move to the to the pandemic. The reason I wanted to talk a little bit about pre-pandemic is just to make the case that this just didn't happen on March the 11th. It, just, it didn't begin on March the 11th, nor did it begin in 2017 with a hurricane. To me, being in the profession uh, for as long as I've been, it seems to me that that's when we first started paying a lot more specific attention to to the events that take place outside of work and how that impacts a child or an adult when they come to work. So you're right. You mentioned that in the last 13 months, our society has taken a lot. Our kids, our our staff members, uh, society in general, you've got the pandemic, you've got the losses, people losing loved ones, losing family members. You've got the George Floyd incident and uh, the tragedy that, that that was and all that has played as a result of that. You've got a freeze, at least in Texas, for those of us that listen that don't live in, we're not used to the weather that we we experienced a couple of months ago. Yet people in their homes, you know, what they consider to be freezing to death. And you put all those things on top of each other, we'd be crazy not to think that it's going to impact individuals. What are some of the most common behavior traits or characteristic traits that you have seen in children? And then I want to talk about adults. I want to talk about adults as well. You know, if we're a parent sitting here listening to this or watching this, what are some of the things that you, from pro- your professional perspective, are watching for? Or what should we be watching for with our own children? That says- I'll start with the students and then Ms. Um, Tennant can speak about what she's seen with a lot of adults. And we collaborate each week. And um, she spoke about our mental health liaison, Ms. Fristo, and just talking with her, working with those students. We've seen, I know, double of uh, depression, anxiety, and suicidal ideation. Those have been the top three that we have seen. Um, and, you know, we understand why, you know, you look at the isolation and uh, early on in the pandemic, they were talking about how social distancing should not equate social isolation, but it's very challenging to make that be the case. It has. And so our students are dealing with these emotions um, and they're dealing with them in isolation a lot of times. And then of course, we know people working from home. And so those type of tense family environments, we know about, of course, domestic violence rising. And so it's just been a lot of tense time where usually school would be the outlet for the student. And now that's not necessarily the case anymore. And if it is, it's a lot structured different than what they're used to. And so that's creating a lot of these things. When you think about S and L, that S is social. So students are created to be, all of us are created to be social beings. And by that being so limited on top of everything else we've been discussed, um, that has led a lot to those those type of uh, concerns with our students. So that's what we're seeing the top three, I'd say, would have increased. And it's probably more than double, but at least um, those three. And so for parents to understand that when a student is showing like avoidance signs or they're showing um, they're having more medical uh, things, like they're saying their stomach or hurting headaches. It could be that, but a lot of times that's leading to just anxieties, different changes in diets and behaviors. So those are things that parents come look at to see why is my child exhibiting these? Is it really a medical condition or is it something related to um, a social, emotional, mental health concern. It's kind of challenging sometimes. That's why it's better to have a conversation with your child when you see these symptoms that may be a little different. The, the students who had been who have been learning from home virtually over this period of time, I think one thing that has been clearly recognized, whereas a lot of things have been clearly recognized, but two of them, one is that yes, schools have always been and will always be a, a social emotional background, a backdrop, if you will, backstop for many of our children. Well, when they're at home, they don't have that. 
and they haven't had that, in addition to food and academic instruction and things of that nature. The other one that I find concerning is that the family structure and the, and the, and the children who are at home all day long with a mom or a dad trying to coexist when there's been this separation with with the kid being at school and you know and I'm trying to delicately talk about that but, but at some point you need a break from yeah. right uh, yes it, it is definitely a challenge I think I can say we probably have all been there it, it's a challenge in any family I'll say it that way yeah, I'm trying yeah. to be delicate as well because you know we had it where like four zooms going on everybody's trying to do their work right. and trying to overlap and you're trying to put the note on the door to say don't come in here and then you have to try to get lunch together and then when you're at home there are naturally more things that uh, get your attention at home that you wouldn't have to do at school and then you're trying to engage with the teachers in your own work um, and that's just a small piece of that but you're absolutely right it's been chaotic at best for a lot of people but I will say again uh, to try to highlight some of the positive those are opportunities where you can kind of finally come down at the end of the day that families can be more creative and spend more time together away from all of that. So, okay, we've done the homework, we've done the schoolwork, let's go ahead and set aside time to do a Bible study or we're going to come together and just talk about, you know, 30 minutes, everybody just talk about two things that they had today, you know. So I have been encouraged by more families taking the opportunities and they have been so close-knit mm-hmm. to utilize that time to reconnect. Well. TikTok made a fortune off of it. I guarantee you that. You're absolutely correct. Cassandra, talk about the adults because, we, we, again, we focus on students a lot, but we don't sometimes focus on the adult that's responsible for them. Talk about your experiences and what you've seen over the last 13 or 14 months. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of what keeps people healthy is their routine. And so we develop a healthy routine and that's what keeps us going and it helps us have our balance and everybody's routine has been disturbed. And so if your normal outlet was going to the gym, you know, now people may be starting to feel comfortable getting back to some of those places, but you've been out of your normal outlets. And then especially when you consider staff, they've got you know, children and they've got all the things to worry about um, that we're talking about as far as making the adjustments. But then in addition to that, you know, they are frontline workers. So they needed to come back in the building and deal with those anxieties that come with that and managing kids that are, you know, having their needs at a higher level. I've heard a lot of teachers talk about how much depression and anxiety they're seeing from students, you know, so they have to kind of put theirs to the side and deal with the kids who they're dealing with. I'm always really excited that I'm in that role to be able to support them. And I've come in on more staff meetings uh, this year where we just come in and do a lot of extra I'm going to talk to you about self-care and just really remind you of the things that you can do to keep yourself going. You know, we've had to find ways to encourage people to pivot is the big word. You know, how can we adjust? You know, myself, I was a big person that enjoyed exercising in the gym. And then when I couldn't, I had to run more outside. Well, it was an opportunity for me to listen to more books and, you know, just find a way to make that adjustment. And so that's kind of how I try to encourage the people is, you know, let's find ways that we can pivot and continue continue to move forward, but recognize that you can't pour from an empty cup. So you've got to take care of yourself and there's, you know, no guilt in that. We can't have compassion for other people and not have self-compassion for ourselves. You both have talked about depression, you know, whether either describing people's reaction to it's happened or can you like clarify what depression is? Uh, Because it seems to me that's a term that sometimes gets overused 
it gets to a point where sometimes it's overused so much that the true clinical definition gets watered down or gets lost into and I'm I'm guilty of it. We'll we'll assume someone's having a bad day or they're they're down in the dumps over something and we want to associate depression with it. And then the next time we see somebody who's truly depressed and we treat them like the person who just had a bad day or just having a rough time. Does that make sense? I'm could, could y'all talk about that a little bit? It does. I'll, I'll just say a couple of words and um, I may have something to share, but when you're looking at, and that's such a good point that you bring up, Mr. Chambers, because we want our students and our staff to be able to have the language that they need. Because if something happens in your life that makes you sad, then you're sad. That's just sadness. That's not necessarily depression. But what depression looks at and where it comes in, if you're looking at that prolonged sense of not being able to get back to your normal level of functioning, not being able to um, no longer enjoy those things that you used to enjoy. And it's not related to one specific thing. I know in a clinical sense, when you look at depression, you can't even necessarily diagnose it if it's related to a loss or a death. So if someone came to a mental health facility who had just lost a loved one on Monday and they came in on Tuesday to say, I'm depressed, that clinician is going to put a grief diagnosis on that and not depression because that is something that you would expect that you would be sad that close. But if you get down to a certain amount of time, then they start looking at those depression things. You're still not able to get out of bed. You're still not able to function properly. You're still not able to do your self-care. So it's really the length of time and the um, intensity of that sadness over time. But you're absolutely correct to make that distinction because sometimes, I mean, I think everybody's going to be sad during this time, mm-hmm. but that depression really comes into you really not being, it's sleeping patterns, things of that nature, um, disturbance in sleep and those type of things that kind of happen over time where you just kind of feel like it's been a while and I still have not felt like myself. I'm still not able to care for myself like I used to or care for my others. It's getting more and more difficult to operate at work. I'm not sleeping properly. I'm feeling some physical manifestations more than I did before. That's when you kind of start looking at more of that depression type of uh, term versus just sadness. Yeah, I agree with Dr. Baldwin. I think you can have symptoms of depression. A lot of people probably see that. Um, but it's when you have enough of those symptoms, you know, where the change in eat, the sleep, the appetite, the loss of interest, but it gets so bad that you can't function. And so then that's when you're going to get the clinical diagnosis. But you could have a lot of the symptoms, but you're still functioning, you know, Mm -hmm. and so you wouldn't get the diagnosis then because it hasn't altered your life in such a great way. And so a lot of it is seeing when it gets to the point to where you really are not able to do the things that you used to do. And I want to make another um, clarification. So and I'm so glad that you brought this point up. So when we are saying, even in this conversation, the increase of depression things, that's self-reporting. We're not diagnosing those individuals. That's the self-reporting of last year. We may have had 30 kids that say they're feeling depressed and all that. Of course, we have to refer them out to uh, to get a, a true diagnosis. But this year we have 60. So even in us saying that, that's a people self-reporting that this is what I feel like is going on with me. I'm glad you brought that up because I'll make an observation and you guys kind of react to it. Just generally in our society, it seems as though that it, there's been more of an acceptance almost a cheering on of people who who have not self-diagnosed themselves or who have not talked about it publicly, that, that there's been more of that. I mean, you've got celebrities that are talking about it. You've got athletes, professional athletes who are talking about true clinically diagnosed depression or mental illness or mental whatever you want to call it, you know, chemical imbalances, you know, where things are going on in our brains. And I think we would all be foolish to think that 
that at some point through the course of our lives, our brains don't change and the chemicals that make us act the way we do and think the way we do. Uh, would you agree with that, that, that there seems to be a it's still a stigma. I don't want to I don't want to mislead anyone. People still look at it as a stigma or as a weakness. But it, would you agree that it seems like it's been slowly becoming more accepted to talk about it? For sure. I'm excited. Dr. Baldwin led a panel where we did a presentation on a film angst Mm -hmm. and we did that in the evening for the parents to watch. And then we kind of discussed it and it featured Michael Phelps talking about his experience with mental health. And it's, you know, to what you're saying it, when people like him speak up about it and say, I had to see somebody professional, it was beyond a little bit of sadness. It was to where I needed professional help and I had to see somebody to get medication to get my life back on track. And I think that that helps tremendously. Kids relate to the things that they see on TV and now, you know, with, and we're in the social media generation and all of that. So they blurt out their feelings online and, you know, sometimes they're able to connect with people um, in, in a way that, you know, wasn't available previously. It's been a big help that, we have had people to bring down the stigma that has been associated with it, things that we didn't talk about before. I totally agree with all of that. And even I'm thinking about now some of the commercials and you guys have probably seen them um, about some of the common apps where mm-hmm. you'll be watching mm-hmm. the show and it'll say 30 minutes or just common and breathing. And I think that's just amazing that is, you know, being so more um, highlighting now. Like, hey, everyone has a moment. Let's take 30 seconds and debrief. And so that along with celebrities and people that, you know, there are people like, all of us, but kids a lot of times, of course, still see them as role models. And I know there's been some conversation on whether or not that should be the case. But when they can say, hey, yes, I perform well in this area, but over here, I still struggle here. I think kids then say, oh, okay, so I can still strive to be a great athlete or a great principal or a great whomever and still have this struggle. And it's okay. And the next part, and there's help. Right. So let's talk about the help. From a large school district perspective, we've got all kinds of opportunities or resources. You know, Dr. Baldwin, before we get into that, I'd, I'd like for you to maybe talk a little bit about you've worked in the private sector and you've worked, you know, had your own your own private practice, if you will. And have you seen a sense in transitioning from what what you were doing prior to coming to A-Leaf and in, in, in overseeing our large, large operation? What are some of the similarities or what are some of the differences if there are with the the children and the adolescents that perhaps you worked with or even the the adults and then coming into a school setting with adolescents and with with adults well the main thing or one of the main things so in private practice by the time i had a client in my chair there had already been some sort of pathway that led them to them being there some type of identification and a lot of times that did happen within the school system where the schools had some concerns and brought in the parents and then the parents would refer the other schools would refer them to me in a larger school district a lot of those concerns have not necessarily been highlighted yet so there's a lot more of that front end of education what to look for what to see a lot of that um they look at that tier support so what are some of our tier one support? What does every A-Lee student need to have? And then you go to that tier two, tier three. So a lot of times, by the time a student gets to a clinician, they're already at that higher tier. Whereas in a school district like this, you have to look at the whole. What does all of our school students need? What do they deserve? And then start looking at after that. Okay, so now that tier one intervention didn't quite work for that population. Let's look at the second population and go up the tier. That's some of the main things. And I think also... Is again, I go back to the parent. 
I think, again, by the time a parent understands that it's okay to have my child see someone, um, that's a great thing. But I think at large, parents still are very hesitant of what that means and the stigma surrounding it. And if it's going to be in a public record, I think that education piece is still, that's a big thing that I see that's different. But the kids are the same, mm -hmm. you know, because even in private practice, the kids are there. They're trying to relate to their friends. They're talking to us about stresses that they have. They are just able to get more coping mechanism than the students, their classmates. If that answered that question. Yeah. How, how, how much do you think, um, uh adults in a in a school setting uh contribute to some of the i mean what what are some of the self-inflicted things that we sometimes do as an or not not as a person not personally and not that we wake up trying to do these things but are there things within the large school systems that that you have found uh, that sometimes add or contribute to the to the problems that that have that have uh that some of our staff or some of our our children have have uh, have have had over over years, and it's not just necessarily COVID during COVID, but just in general. I'm gonna tell you why I'm asking this or talking about this. I I can see from my perspective decisions that I make, like personal decisions I make, and thinking about those prior to making them, I never thought about perhaps some of the unintended consequences or the ramifications, and so that that happens in all walks of life you try to learn from that and not not do the same thing however there are also times where i see that our system continues making those same decisions we we do things that either inherently or subconsciously we know we probably shouldn't do so i'm not asking you to to nitpick any one thing or one part of it but the the institution of education is a complex thing yes one of the things that i've been dealing with a lot lately is and i know we're all dealing with it because when our students come back we're gonna definitely have to bridge the academic gap. But just going back a couple of years, school in general, of course, has been so focused on academics that I think inadvertently sometimes they have created so much pressure on kids, this test and, and teaching to the test and uh, performance driven. And I think a lot of students that I would see in private practice, it was just those expectations that you have to make these grades, you have to make this GPA, you have to get into this college, and you have to do this. And I think it's an unintentional effect of education, because I think, you know, our, our intent is good, that you want to have a good education and you want to do that, but that competitiveness and that um, performance-driven type of undertone that's in schools, I think that has been very detrimental to students over time, which is why I think the highlight of social emotional learning and mental health is, is going to be so beneficial once we kind of get toward the end of this, because now it's more of an integrated approach that we definitely know how academic standards can never go away, but we have to look at the whole child. You know, these are people developing and, you know, and I think we do it in good faith and we try to do it in a way that we feel supportive. But a lot of our students feel very overwhelmed when it comes to trying to meet those standards that we set for them. Now, that the state of Texas said on whomever. Um, and so that's that's one of the biggest thing I think all of us need to look at. And I'm so glad that um, in the midst of the pandemic, they did decide not to do the store. And that may have seemed like I know that was a big decision, but it was definitely the right decision. Our students would have greatly, greatly um been impacted by that. Cassandra, what do you think? Yeah, no, I agree um, with what Dr. Ball was saying. You mentioned resiliency before, as far as, you know, sometimes that focus on resiliency. I always include when I start out with self-care, 
I'm not trying to bring you any toxic positivity, you know, and <laughs> act like you just have to put on a good face mm-hmm. and everything has to be okay. It's okay to say you're not okay. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think sometimes that can be hard for teachers to hear, but, you know, speaking to some of the stuff that you're talking about when we think in terms of, I know like Biden passed the money for the schools where there's $130 billion for the schools and some of it can be designated for social emotional learning even though it's not where it's mandated. And so a lot of times because of our focus on tests and on closing gaps, then we don't go towards the social emotional learning and putting the money towards mental health, especially in schools that are title one and already struggling and Mm -hmm. looking at these problems. And it's like, we can't, we got to focus. We got all these other fires burning over here. And so it becomes very hard, but I think sometimes we don't realize that we are helping the test when we teach to the kids heart and just really pay attention to that um, SEL focus. Yeah. This this is, uh, it's kind of been an undercurrent theme that we've talked about is the continual and the gradual recognition of how important this is it's important because they're people, they're individuals, they're, they're little boys, little girls, young men, young ladies, they're adults before they're a student or before they're a teacher or before they're a principal or before they're a counselor. They're, they're a person, they're a child, they're a son, they're a daughter, they're a mother, they're a father. I mean, all these things happen and all those aspects of their life happen before they even step foot into our schools as a student or as an adult. Uh, the more attention it's given to it and and, and is, is to the extent we can, we can associate the attention given to it on the front end with the results that come out on the back end. I think we'll continue to see this increase, whether it's money being dedicated to it or whether it's people or, I mean, look at A-Leaf. We're doing it. You know, five years ago, we didn't have this, this position. Right. I mean, we're, we're all, I am, I'm, I'm reacting to it because it has become such an important in all aspects, not just the learning gaps, not just the achievement gaps, but in just helping these these kids try to cope with life, cope with their their lives. And to that point, though, um, and I think this comes up a lot in A-Leaf, you know, of course, I'm, I'm bragging on ourselves, but it's the truth. I think we have been proactive in a lot of areas because just thinking about Cassandra, she works with staff. We had a, um, our employee assistant program and we've had mm-hmm. that for years. Um, we, um, I think, have been more intent about advertising and promoting that and letting staff know what that is and the benefit. But we've had that. We've had social emotional learning in A-Leaf for a long time. We've called it character education and some other things. But we've had that. And so I think with a district like ours, who already had that foundation and understood how important relationships were from the beginning in whatever form it took, I think it's an easier build. It's difficult still, but it's an easier build because I think some of those foundational things are still there. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about the stigma, I think when you have a district that has already been intentional about talking about, hey, self-care, and we had the Wellness Wednesdays, and we have a you know the Motivational Mondays. So I think we already have some of those things in place prior to the pandemic to make it an easier sell, if you would, to say, hey, we are concerned about you. Yes, we do have to make these check marks. You know, that's just part of being in education, but that we understand that this, um, it needs to be more of a holistic approach. And so I think that we already had that foundation built, and we're just building on it. I learned this a long time ago the importance of finding kind of balance. That term gets used way too much. I, I use it way too much. I, for those of you that have been in the district for a long time, typically 90% of every memo I put out to the staff, I always say, find some life balance. Try to get away from this place. And, and that's easier said than done. And I oh my sometimes I don't practice what I preach, and I, and I know <laughs> that. But it is important. And I, and I do recognize the 
the importance that that our school board and that our our district has placed on this issue and on this matter and and ladies like yourselves and all the colleagues that you work with across our our district uh, they're waking up every day knowing that when they get to to the school there is going to be a crisis that they have to deal with there is going to be a crisis i don't know how many people work up wake up every day other than maybe law enforcement and firefighters right. and i don't right. know of any other profession that wakes up every day and can be guaranteed 100%, no doubt about it, they're going to have to deal with a crisis today. And they don't know what the crisis is. For that, I could we could never express our appreciation to, to the to the men and women that do what you guys do for a living, uh, but also to the teachers who are the first line of counseling, right? They're the yeah. first line of instruction. They're the first line of a lot of things, which leads me to this conversation about teachers and counselors. As, you, as we move forward, as we keep thinking about what, what is this going to look like in a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, and what I'm talking about is the mental health and how we're approaching it. Yeah. How do you see the, the counseling position in our schools and the teaching positions in our schools? How do, we, how do you guys see that those two merging so that these teachers are more cognizant or they're, perhaps they're more on alert to look for some of these signals that we talked about earlier? One of the things that I'm looking at is making sure that teachers understand that we do not want them nor expect them to be counselors. There's two different sets of training. Of course, all professional school counselors have been teachers. They have to have been teachers at least for a couple of years. Most of our counselors have had extension teaching backgrounds and a lot of them are licensed professional counselors and have additional counseling certifications. But there are two different roles and two different sets of training. And those of us who went the additional training for counseling, we did that for a reason because that's where our passion was. So that's the first thing I want to make clear. We're not expecting for teachers to become counselors, but we do need that partnership to continue to build. And that's why we do some of the training, like with the trauma-informed, mm -hmm. because the counselors are not sitting in that classroom with those students every day. But as a teacher, you are, and you can see that, okay, HD is this is a little different than what I've used to seeing with him. Let me have a conversation with him. Let me check on some things. And once you've done that and you have that trauma-informed lens, then you can say, okay, you know, thank you for sharing that with me, HD. I really think, you know, we have Ms. Tanner here. She's in our district. And, you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm always here for you. But I really, you know, are you open to talking with her? So just being able to partnership more. And then for the teachers um, with a role like Ms. Tanner's, to be able to recognize that, hey, I have these kids and I want to do my best for them, but I'm not feeling okay today. Like, I'm not feeling okay for them to feel okay to go to the counselor to say, hey, I may need uh, some support. And so I think the understanding of the collaboration that can happen with the counselor versus the teacher, but then also for the teacher, we just need, we would just encourage them. And what our focus is to have them to train and have them to educate, because it's not fair to anyone to have expectations without giving them what they need to meet those expectations. You know, so we are trying to make sure that they know this is what to look for. This is maybe what to listen for. These may be some signs that will be concerning to you for you to connect with the counselor. So that would be the, the main thing I want to highlight. Cassandra, do you have a couch in your office? I may need to come in and. <laughs> well, like you can see I'm in my office here and I I turned on the lights brighter for y'all, but normally the lights oh, are yeah. low. I have aromatherapy going. So it's oh, a very man. comfortable place. <laughs> well, I, I think I think Dr. Baldwin in a roundabout way was kind of diagnosing me and <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> I will say this in all sincerity, as a director of counseling, you know, talking to counselors, directors in other districts, I'm so 
encouraged to be able to say, I have a mental health team because a year and a half ago, we couldn't say that. Mm. And so we're just making so many strides in the right direction, understanding, like you said, the student and the staff need the support. And I just hear so many adults saying, I can't believe that we kind of have some people for us. And we know that, um, as Cassandra said, there's a lot of different departments that reach out to say, hey, our department is just, you know, some of these departments that have worked through the pandemic, they really hadn't had a break. And, you know, nutrition and some of those, you know, departments that say, hey, our department is kind of really stressed in and we just kind of need someone to come in. So it's just an absolute blessing to work in this district and to look at where we're going with mental health, where we're going with social and emotional learning. And I'm just, uh, just very sincerely um, proud to be a part of it. Good. Yeah. Cassandra, any last things that you would like for those listening? Uh, I told you guys before, there's going to be people watching and listening to this that actually are in situations like you've described. And maybe they're that person that has not chosen not to for whatever reason to seek help any words from you guys that you'd like for them to to hear well you know one of the things that i love about my job like dr Rowan saying is we're in a position to encourage people and so i just want to encourage people that you know whatever shape you're in, whatever you're dealing with, you don't have to continue to feel bad. If you're feeling bad, there's a lot of resources available and ways that you can get support. We have on our website, if you go to the A-Leaf website, you know, the counseling pages, we have a mental health page and we have all kinds of numbers there where you can reach out and talk to people. I think one of the things that we've learned in our resourcefulness of the pandemic is, you know, there's all kinds of ways that we can adjust and continue to grow and change. And so I would just say, never be afraid to reach out for help and know that there is support available. And I've seen a lot of people get better. And that's what kind of keeps me going is I've seen people get better. And as far as working with students, we know that one caring adult in their life can make all the difference. And so, you know, just being able to uh, touch lives in that way, that's what encourages me and keeps me going. And I just want to make sure everybody feels encouraged. Thank you. And then um, to that point about the uh, aleafisd.net backslash mental health is how they can get to that page. And it has every resource you could, I mean, our mental health team has done a dynamic job. It's, there's no stone left unturned, I feel like. But one resource I want to highlight, because it's, it's fairly new. So we all are familiar with 911, of course, for emergencies. So there's been some conversation back from the FCC about having a three-digit mental health number that people could have. Because we're saying if we're going to really try to um, move past the stigma, then we should have those same supports that we would have in any other type of support. And so now we have a three-digit mental health suicide number 988. And that yeah, number, I, I that. saw that reaction. A lot really? of people, it's 988. And right now, the FCC has given to February of 2022 for all communication carriers to be in compliance. However, T-Mobile and Sprint have already um, been in compliance. So right now, like my personal phone is a T-Mobile phone. I tried it last night to make sure it was working. So I can dial 988 for my phone and take me directly to Suicide Mental Hotline. And what it is, it partners up with the number that we used to have, that 1-800-TALK number. Mm-hmm. So it's the still, it's that still um, same group that houses that, but it's just a quicker way to get to it. So 988 is there. And I would say to those people, as far as advocating for themselves, if your cell phone provider or communication provider has not yet been in compliance, ask them about it. So when will we be able to get that 988? But if you are T-Mobile and if you are spent right now, you can do that directly from any device you have and it takes you right there to some support. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So I think that's amazing. And again, those are some of the great things that have come out of this. People are being more intentional about support and help that they can get. 
This is an issue that's been here for a long time, and it's not going away. As long as we're dealing with human beings and human beings are made the way they are, we're going to find that the the increasing need for, for people like yourselves. And because every human goes through a school environment, everyone at some point is going to be in school. Uh, we have the chance. You guys have the chance. Your profession has a chance to to touch every one of them, to, to have a, a – and, and so – the reason we wanted to, there's a lot of obvious reasons we want to have this conversation, but the, the one of them for, at least from my perspective was, is to continue legitimizing people's real life issues and, and give them a chance to, uh, if nothing else, give them permission uh, to seek help on it and to seek, seek some advice. We say this all the time. If one person gets something out of this, then it's been well worth our 45 minutes or so to, to talk about it. And, uh, and I can't, I can't express enough appreciation for you, Dr. Baldwin and, and you, Cassandra, and, and you taking over a new role and kind of molding it into a way in which you, y'all see fit, that y'all see the best way to, to achieve the, uh, the objective of the, of the role and, and with your facilitator. And then obviously God bless the, those counselors in our schools that, that are doing God's work every single minute, every single day. Uh, I joke with them, you know, I mentioned earlier about everyone who wakes up to a crisis you know that middle school, high schools, you're going to have boyfriend, girlfriend drama and the crisis that goes along with that. And, and sometimes we laugh at that and we joke about that as adults, but to those, to those little, those young men, young women, that's, that's life. That's life. That yeah. is serious life. And it is real in real time. And it is, it's as serious as a heart attack to them. It's taken a lot of us a long time to kind of get beyond that. Hey, it's going to be okay. Just dust your, dust your britches off and go about going about your business. So, but no, thank you for what you've done and what you continue to do for our kids and, and, and our staff. We'll continue to talk and we'll continue to educate our community and our, and our district. I, I can't tell you how impressive y'all have been and, and the good work that you're doing. So thank you very much. Thank you thank for your you. You bet. Um, for our dynamic partnerships. Awesome. Awesome. Well, this has been Impact Ed. I'm HD Chambers with Ailey ISD. Thank you. Have a great rest of your day and uh, we'll talk to you soon. This has been an AMP production.